Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Yov, the CEO at Oro, and we discuss his biggest takeaways from multiple successful exits, how Yov used an open source strategy to build a successful suite of B2B business applications, and why empowering people to do great things is the key to experiencing growth. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Hello, hello. Hello. Hey, yo, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Joel. How are you? Good. Am I pronouncing your name correctly? Is it Yov? Yes, that's that's perfect. That's as close as people get. <laughs> nice. Whenever I see it, whenever I see a name, right, and I'm like, how how would the person butcher it? And I was like, everyone probably calls him Yoav or something. <laughs> yeah, well, it's um, it is like Yoav, which it comes from the you know from the Bible. So it's uh, I think the English uh, pronunciation is Joab. Um, oh, so, yeah, then um, that's why it's Yoav. But you got it. I think that's close enough. Like I said. Yeah, Joel is actually a chapter in the Bible as well. And I was curious <clears throat> to research it and read it. And I did. And he's like the guy that is just talking about the apocalypse. Like, yes. <laughs> And so I was like, okay, is that the character I get? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it is, uh, it's actually my dad's name as well. So it is pronounced like we would pronounce it Yoel rather than Joel. Oh, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Nice. He's a good man then. Right? He is a good man. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I really liked about, about you when I was researching was that you founded like so many companies that you've always, you know, been, been a founder type mindset. And I was just curious, like, was that from a young age or how, how did, like, what inspired you to like become a founder? Um, actually it's the complete opposite, believe it or not. Um, once I once I decided that uh, computers is where I'm going to stick, and that's a different story right now. But I went to school. I actually was attending UCLA for computer science, and what I wanted is actually to work in a big company. I thought, you know, I want to um, go into a corporate environment, uh, learn a lot from a lot of people. Um, I was interviewing for um, big companies like Xerox and IBM and stuff like that. And luck of the draw or whatever. Um, my friend and partner at Magento, Roy, we went to get her to school. And um, when I graduated, it was just uh, kind of after the 2000 crash and all that. So a lot of companies were just not hiring. We actually had the smallest uh, job fair uh, when I graduated and it was very pathetic, unfortunately. And um, and Roy had some home business that he was running and he was like, do you want to join me? And I'm like, well, I, don't, I can't find anything else. Let's do that, right? And make that story short. So I, I was... I would not say I was born an entrepreneur, right? I am not a good businessman and stuff like that. I really just like, uh, well, maybe my biggest talent is actually surrounding myself with really great people and really talented and smart people. I think that's if I have to kind of nail down why I'm founding so many companies is my ability to find the right people to to work with and um, and let them be great at what they do. And I'm always there. So I get some of that benefit of uh, being around those smart and uh, talented people. And I guess that's why I'm more of a founder. I, it's the same thing with uh, Oro here now today and with Akinio, another company I founded or helped found. Um, 
they were just great guys I knew from the Magento time. And when they pitched to me the idea, you know, for me, the idea was secondary. I knew the team there, I knew their abilities, and I trusted them to build an amazing company, which they did with Akinio, which is an open source product information management, if nobody heard of them. Uh, great company, um, great culture, great product, et cetera. So again, I just almost just like attached my name to great people and then build great stuff. So um, I guess Magento will be the kind of a bit different because I really uh, was more involved in building it from zero. Uh, but um, it's really, I guess, I was kind of pulled into it rather than uh, that would be my background of wanting to be an entrepreneur and start a companies and all that. So I love it now. If I look back, I'm so lucky to be where I am right now. I, I would never go back and uh, work in it. I actually got the chance to do that uh, after we got acquired by eBay. So now I know what I was uh, going, what Prada was like uh, supposed to or wanting to go in. And it was definitely the wrong one for me. I really love this creativity, this uh, smaller companies where the impact is immediate and um, you can build amazing stuff from the beginning and not uh, just be part of this big machine. So today I'm, I just find myself extremely, extremely lucky that, you know, the, the path that was laid in front of me and uh, I just capitalized on that and, and did the best I could with that. So when you were starting and you were early, at, let's say like the Magento project, right? How did you align yourself with great people? How did that happen? Or when did you have the realization that this is the thing I'm good at? Um, so it actually started from, so the Magento started from a services company that was just two people, myself and Roy. Uh, we had a few, uh, early, pretty fast. We added some contractors all from all over the world to help us. And we were just doing services on anything that people would ask us to do web related. So we were creating web applications. Uh, we got a, I'll just give that back quick backstory. So we got pulled into the uh, e-commerce space and we started doing more and more projects on e-commerce. We used a platform called OS Commerce at that time. But again, that's what we were doing. And we we're just building um, services on top of it for customers. What happened was when we started growing the company, we started really focusing on e-commerce. We started getting bigger and bigger customers. Um, what, what platform we were using actually became secondary to our abilities. That's when we kind of looked around and said, look, we have an amazing team. We know e-commerce. We have amazing talent of developers. We actually uh, started creating um, uh, and we call, you'll call it an offshore, but we actually, part of our company, we just opened another subsidiary in uh, Ukraine. And looking, um, you know, when when we kind of hit the wall with OS Commerce and said, you know, where's the, what can we do next? What other platform, where can we grow? Because we were getting bigger and bigger and more complex projects. Where can we grow with that? Uh, we looked around, we couldn't find anything, but looking in, internally and looking at our team and capabilities, that's what kind of made us feel, look, we can actually build it on ourselves, for, our, for ourselves initially, but we can build the product because we have an amazing team around us. So just acknowledging who we're working with, being able to kind of trust them to do this, I think that's what caused us to create Magento in the beginning. It was it started just from an internal project for us to serve our customers, improve on what we know, but um, it turned out to be an amazing product on its own. Yeah, I was really excited because we were doing all the research on Oro and everything. And then we're doing the, uh, like we switched guests because someone was going to come on, then you right, came right. on from Oro, right? So that was, so we started researching you. And uh, in the in the show prep, uh, Adam put uh, Mag that he, that he founded a company called Magneto. Oh, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> and, I, and I misread it. And I was like, oh man, I thought it was Magento. And he's like, no, it's Magneto. And I was like, I was like, that would be really cool. <laughs> and then our other producer like went and looked on your LinkedIn. He's like, no, 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 Joel, Joel's right. It, it's Magento. And uh, I was like, that's so cool. Cause I remember, you know, back when I was using OS commerce before any of the, the big things came out now, 
you know, so many different large softwares, but I remember, you know, OS commerce and that when you said that, I haven't thought about that software in so long. And when you said that, that old, like C <laughs> dashboard, like where you would install it, you know, yeah. came up in my head, that image. And I was just like, Oh man, what a, what a back in the day thing. And, and, you know, so I got to watch like the progression of that over the past, you know, it was like 15, 15, 15 years. Yeah. When did you, yeah. Yeah. Wow. We're getting old. We're getting old, <laughs> especially yeah. in technology. We were really old. <laughs> I know, right? It's like if you know OS Commerce, you've been around for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> do do you, did you feel really good when? Um, so I then I was like, well, they just sold to Adobe, and then he's like, well, in the prep it says that they sold to eBay, and so I was like, okay, well, maybe eBay grew it and then sold it to Adobe. Is that what happened? Yeah, kind of. So we um, we we sold it to eBay. That's um, and and again, that's a great potential and partnership that we thought we were going to create there. That didn't work out within eBay. I left about eight months after their full acquisition to start Oro. And then um, uh, Adobe sold it to a private equity that sold it to uh, Adobe. Yeah. So they went through the... Okay. But it's, again, um, just kudos to everybody that's running it there. They, they really built on top of what we sold to eBay. So taking it to the next level. It must feel good just to see a fire that you started, you know, just take off like that. Yeah, it's. I think the um, it, it's more similar to um, in a straight kid that's very successful, right? Because we don't talk anymore. <laughs> but, <laughs> that's but, funny. But, but see them grow on their own and doing well, but yet we don't get on the phone anymore and talk about it. But yeah, it's uh, it still makes you feel proud. And of course, uh, some people are still over there and they're doing a great job. So it's still amazing to see it. Yeah. And 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 having the brand for so long, I'll be honest. I mean, you know, it's uh, it does talk to the how powerful the brand we created there. And I think that's uh, something we, we really feel proud of. And the fact that Adobe didn't just turn around and rename it immediately, right? They kept the name, kept almost the logo, which actually has in it our initial company, which was Varian. The part of the logo is still there. So just seeing this history evolve for all these years, is, it is uh, proud and you feel proud and a pride, I guess. And uh, it's really great. Yeah. So how, how did the industry related experience and doing that project prepare you or inspire you for Oro? Yeah, so we learned so much at Magento. I think from the good stuff and a lot of the bad stuff we did, uh, we also learned what industries are underserved in this general term e-commerce, right? And or as we like to refer to it more as digital commerce today. So really kind of uh, took everything we learned and said, if we do it again, if we really and and I was a bit reluctant to build another company, to be honest, that was uh, it was exhausting. But um, when I saw again the people I can get together and do this again, I, I got really excited. I, I didn't even take a, a week off, I think. So we were kind of um, eight months later, we had the company up and running. Um, sorry, not even eight months. Six months later, we had the company up and running. But the idea was that we took everything we learned at Magento, saw what we did well, what we did uh, badly, and and fix on that. So and and kind of repair what we we learned and do that again. It comes from the technology, like how we approach technology. You know, in Magento, we were much younger and much more confident. So we said, you know, we can do a lot on our own. We don't need to, uh, you know, use the stuff that's out there. And we ended up with a big chunk of what we did that was created by us, right? And we owned it. And, and for good and for bad, because it did allow us to do a lot of stuff that we didn't feel that uh, existed in technology back then. But when we um, when we kind of built it, we also owned it, right? So 
performance issues, security issues, uh, even use cases, we didn't see everything. But again, we were much younger, had too much confidence, I guess. When we came to Aura, we looked at that and we said, look, if we do this again, there should be really good products out there, right? So even from selecting Symphony as our framework, rather than building a new framework from scratch, like we almost did in Magento and what they did in Magento 2 right now, I think that's like a big lesson we learned uh, because we wanted to tie into the biggest ecosystem of developers we could. So we don't start them off learning from nothing and learning our technology and the way we want to do the same thing. But we use something that we really thought had already a really great ecosystem community around that, that will learn and just benefit from the kind of business uh, use case that we're building on top of it. Um, so that would be my biggest uh, kind of, um, you know, from technology standpoint, uh, lesson learned, um, you know, some people are doing something better than you. You better look why they're successful and use that, right? And there's no need to go and invent every time the wheel from scratch. And I think that's something we we got more humble about, and uh, we appreciate um, everybody that's out there, and we kind of learn to reuse as much as possible rather than build from scratch. And what about from like the human leadership side? Oh, the so. I do think we did a good job in Magento, maybe even too good of a job uh, motivating people to work in Magento. I think the the personal uh, work kind of uh, balance didn't exist. There was all work 100% of the time. Uh, it was regular for everybody in the company to work 12-hour shift, 12-hour uh, day. Sorry, uh, weekends were you know for work. <laughs> so I think we did learn that we need to invest in the people to have a more complete. It's it's a long it's a long kind of marathon, right? It's not, a, it's not a sprint, right? And we can't keep everybody running at 100% all the time. Uh, so we did learn that lesson. Um, we're really investing in our company. I think one of our, uh, sorry, in our employees in the company, um, one, of our, um, one of the basic things we believe in is that we want our employees to grow. We want them to have an environment where they come and feel that they're uh, growing, that they are part of it but they also have their personal growth as well. Uh, we also try to have much more social events. Again, in Magento, I, I absolutely, it was 100% work, work, work. That's what we were about. Wake up in the morning, you go to work, you, you don't know when's the next time you're going to see the bed. But with our, we wanted to have more balance. We, we're still working hard, don't get me wrong, and we are pushing out product as fast as we, even faster than we did. But we definitely want to have more of a balanced approach to how we uh, build the team. Uh, a lot of the team actually came from Magento, so that's like, you know, we, we kind of all matured together, but now when we're hiring new, uh, younger people and, and extending the team, it's definitely kind of the new culture that we build around our product. So definitely more of a balanced approach, more of a personal approach. We want to uh, have people feel like they're growing with the company, growing and finding uh, their, um, you know, their path, even if it doesn't end up to be with the company. So if they grow somewhere else, that's great for us. And we stay in touch with a lot of the people we work with. But I think that will be the biggest difference that I kind of look. Another big one was, which we're actually pretty good at Magento with keeping, but we're really now put as a rule here, is to stay flat as possible. So any person in the company can reach out to anybody else in the company with any piece of, uh, if it's negative, positive, if it's questions. Um, and we're very transparent. So we share everything, including our financials with every employee in the company on a quarterly at least basis. During the pandemic, we're doing it uh, even more often every couple of weeks, um, just so they know exactly where we're going. So they were fully transparency in the company. Everybody knows everybody, what they're doing. Uh, we have a great uh, insight that we do demos, you know, everybody shows what they're working on and stuff like that. So really trying to keep everybody together, even as we grow and see how long we can maintain it. Uh, and Magento has exploded. I think I had at one point under me reporting about 400 plus, I think it was 480 even people. 
Uh, so we decided maybe we can keep it a bit smaller, right? I mean, that was too big, too fast. Um, so we are trying to keep the size and still stay efficient um, and see how we kind of scale up uh, using the ecosystem rather than building everything internally. So what's the problem that Oro solves? So great question. So we started from two problems that we saw uh, from Magento. The first thing was um, what we looked at in Magento was that a lot of the Magento merchants that were trying to go online or going online with Magento uh, looked for a tool to manage the customers. And we had some of that baked into Magento, but it was very basic. Um, and when we started learning what they were asking for, it started the term CRM started coming up, like client relation management. So in Magento, we would say, yeah, we can we can integrate with Salesforce, we can integrate with Sugar CRM. That's another old <laughs> company from yeah. Um So we we would say, yeah, we can integrate with those. But when we were actually working on those integrations, we saw, you know, it's not a really good fit because most of the CRMs on the market at that point were mostly a kind of a funnel management or pipeline management, right? They were not necessarily managing the relationship with customers, especially when we were talking about multi-channel, omni-channel companies that had multiple types of customers, multiple types of interactions with them. So what happened was that we, we really tried to build a tool uh, in with Aura called Aura CRM that would give this kind of flexibility to manage the customer relationship and actually manage the customers, not manage the sales necessarily to the customer because it can be that the customer opens a sales ticket through, um, sorry, through your um, sales team, but um, sorry, sales opportunity, but it can also be that they're uh, writing a review about you somewhere, right? And you want to see all this data in one place and have access for the marketers, the sales team, um, the customer support, everybody to have a single kind of repository of all the customer data. That was the approach that we were doing. Um, we called it a uh, multi-channel CRM um, and we launched it with a good integration to Magento. So actually um, any order, any customer that will come in, you would create a customer account and then you can connect it to everything else that that customer would do if we would find them anywhere else. Um, and across channels as well, if a lot of her customers had multiple websites. So uh, you could see in one single point, all the orders, uh, all their interactions, their, their actual value to the company. So, you know, the fact that they bought uh, something for cheap, but it doesn't mean they didn't buy in a different website or a different channel of something that they're worth a lot for you. So you would see all this in a single point and then allowing your marketers to create real intelligent kind of campaigns on top of that. So that, that actually worked really well. And uh, we, we started growing pretty good uh, just from this integration with uh, Magento and um, started um, getting more and more customers on the CRM. But then we started hearing a recurring request from our CRM customers as we launched, as we started on, onboarding more and more of the, uh, you know, B2B companies or true multi-channel companies that were not only in e-commerce and B2C. And they were asking us for more and more transactional uh, features, meaning that they can actually put an order in the CRM for their customers, uh, meaning that they can set a price that the customer then can, can use on, on the storefront or answer a quote or an RFP and stuff like that from the system. And that's something that we kind of started seeing that's lacking in the CRM world. So we started thinking maybe that's one thing that we should build on. The second, just putting that together with another point that we learned in Magento was that more and more B2B companies, companies that sell to other companies were trying to go online or become digital, right? And the term was e-commerce. So they would search, search e-commerce. Magento was number one. They would come to Magento and say, look, we want to go online. We sell to other companies. And again, our egos and everything said, we can do it, it's no problem. But we learned at Magento that it's not true. It's a completely different uh, use case than the B2C uh, use case when you want to help B2B companies 
go online and become digital. So that was putting that together with what we learned with our CRM customers led to our second product, which is called Commerce, which actually has the whole CRM built into it, but it also has a complete front end and a way for uh, companies to interact with other companies in a digital form. So that enables your sales reps to kind of set pricing for their uh, customers, have the customer log in and put in an order or connect to their procurement systems, stuff like that. So really focused on B2B and their needs in the market. And uh, a lot of times we do, we were pulled into B2B companies that also had a small uh, B2C channel. So we now do B2B and B2C in a single system and stuff like that. So really solving the need for B2B companies to go digital. I think that's if, the, if I have to sum it in one word. And so you were talking, you're talking about like the different, what you were learning from your customers and that driving your product. I'm curious for, for you and your role, like how, how do you connect with the customers or how do you gather that feedback at scale? Are you meeting directly with them? Are you talking with account managers? Do you train your, your team to look for this thing? Like, how do you get that information about what the customers want back and then make decisions on it? Sure. That's a great question. So <clears throat> at Magento and um, I'll start from the beginning at Magento, we had a huge footprint, right? We had an ecosystem of community of developers, users, uh, merchants, partners, system integrators, third-party solutions. So we had the huge ecosystem and, and that's a huge eco chamber, right? You could hear so many opinions and uh, requirements, but that also allowed you to kind of start spotting trends, right? When we start hearing something more than twice, you have to start listening to it again, right? But when we hear it 10 times, it's maybe a new trend. And B2B was that. We saw that, you know, it started trickling in like, okay, one B2B company asking to go online and the use cases, this and that. So we said, yeah, we can customize that, no problem. But when we started hearing it hundreds of times, thousands of times, we knew that there's a big gap in the market. And, and when we actually tried implementing, we learned that that is something that needs to be addressed. Um, that's the same thing we did with the CRM because we had, an, an, and this all relates to being open source and allowing an ecosystem to be built around that. But we actually had the great ecosystem around our CRM product. So we started getting feedback from our CRM users telling us, look, your product is great. It does everything we wanted it to do, but we want more, right? And uh, so that does, it kind of removes the guessing work for us because once we start seeing a trend and more and more customers are asking for something, then we kind of try the Venn diagram approach and say, what are they all asking for, right? What is the features we need to build into our system, right? And take that. So it's, it's again, removing any guessing work for us. Um, and we really build those features. So our, our, our kind of goal is to build 60 to 80% of the product that everybody needs for a specific, specific use case and allowing them to customize or configure the 20%, you know, or the 40% in extreme cases that they need for their specific use case. But having this eco chamber where we hear all this feedback and hear and interact with this ecosystem of developers and, and users and uh, partners really allows us to kind of build a solid roadmap that almost no guessing. And, and it's, it works amazingly well because every time there's a new trend or a new fad in the technology, we, we don't have to guess if we need to uh, work on it or not. We, we actually listen right to our users and developers. If they really need it, we'll hear it more than once, right? And then we know that that's something we have to put the higher priority on the roadmap and, and incorporate into what we're building. So is it like in the sales process, your sales team is hearing these requests or, or things, and then they're talking about it in their sales meetings, they identify a trend and then they bring that up into product or how does that work? Yeah, that's the traditional way, right? And oh. of course we have that. We have like, uh, you know, bi-monthly bi uh, meetings with our sales team that give us feedback, you know, the product is doing great, but this is what we're hearing 
that we don't have or we cannot demo nicely or you know we lost because we didn't have this feature or that integration or whatnot. That's, I guess, the traditional way that everybody's doing. For us, it's uh, we have even a better uh, feedback system because we have uh, community users, right, that are using our product and developers that are trying to uh, build on top of our product. So we really get a much larger feedback than a traditional kind of enterprise company, right, that maybe works on 100, 500 deals at once. Um, we have thousands of people giving us feedback. If it's uh, directly, if it's uh, through GitHub, if it's uh, if it's uh, customers that are using our community edition, not even paying us, but telling us, you know, this is great, but we want this improvement as well, right? So customers for us get higher priority for sure. So we actually have meeting with our customers. We actually present to them our roadmap. We get feedback with from them on that. Uh, but we also really use our ecosystem, and that includes the developers and uh, et cetera, so we and users. So we really get kind of a lot of information. Like I said, we use kind of the what do we hear the most kind of approach to prioritize, but that's why we do that. So definitely sales guys and the sales team is part of it, but they're just one part of it. So let's take, I like that you mentioned that we were talking about the traditional route, and then you also mentioned that you have the community, so you have things coming in through GitHub and of that nature, right? Now, when something, let's just run a hypothetical because uh, I'm just really curious on the details here because you're a sure, very sure, sure. bright person and, and, and I'm really interested to hear how, you, how it happens. So let's, let's say some suggestions come in from GitHub. You see some things happening and then maybe one of your, you know, the project maintainers of the GitHub project, right? I'm sure you have someone that's responsible for that, who owns that um, who, as they decide like what gets, you know, merged in from the community and all of that good stuff they start noticing that there's this repetitive request for something do they do, are they empowered just to do it or like how do they go about deciding what to build and and then who do they need to talk to like does the does a team lead or a project lead like someone who owns that specific project make the decision or do they bring it into a team and the team makes the decision how would that happen so like I said, we're pretty flat. So they can actually reach out to anybody and start bringing this up. And uh, we, the same th way we meet with our sales team, we meet with our developer team, we meet with our services team. We actually still do some services, not only product. So we really have multiple points of, uh, of kind of feedback, right? And where we're getting this information from. If the product team, they're working with GitHub, they're getting um, uh, a lot of feedback from other developers and community developers. If it's our services that's in, uh, working with partners, working with actual customers, right? So we're getting feedback from them, sales team on sales calls. Then we kind of collab, we kind of put it all together, right? So we have these separate kind of meetings with each uh, part of the company. But the product guys, which is myself and uh, Michael, our VP of engineering, and Dima, our CTO, we actually sit together and kind of take all this information, right, and collaborate it together, put it all together, sorry, and then collaborate on uh, prioritizing our roadmap. That's how we do it. And like I said, it's very little guessing game. I think it's uh, just gives us the power to build what we know that we need next. Um, our best example, our most recent example is, for example, our CMS approach. We had one approach. We learned that the market needs it completely different and we heard it across the board, right? So that was an easy thing for us to prioritize because we had it down, you know, maybe a year or two down the roadmap, but we were able to prioritize it and deliver it in the beginning of this year, right? So because that's something that was highly requested across the board and that's how we do it. So the three of us kind of, 
get all the data, get all the feedback, and that can be directly to me, directly. I have developers reaching out directly to me as the CEO right now and telling me, you know, you need to improve this feature. It just doesn't work, you know, or or I heard on one of the forums that uh, people have different approaches today to doing this. Can we incorporate that? And we'll allow people to investigate. So people come to us and say, look, I have this idea. And we say, go for it, right? Try it out. Sometimes we put a limit. Sometimes we don't if we like it. But we do these experiments. So if the question is, how do we actually go and do it? Yeah, we allow, if it's an experiment, if it's not just a feature, if it's an experiment on technology, if it's a different, complete different approach, we allow that person to own it, right? So a lot of times, you know, they, they actually come up with the idea and then own it so they can actually show us what they deliver, do a demo and try to convince us that that's the way to go. And if we accept it, it moves on. Uh, but we're very collaborative. I mean, it's not, it sounds more like a, uh, you know, only three of us make decisions, but we really listen to everybody. So we just need to kind of put it all together and then say that's the highest priority we heard at the most times and that's what we need to go with. Yeah, I like that you mentioned earlier about the great people because I'm, I'm making notes, you know, you've got great people, you're relatively flat, you have a sense and a culture of like empowerment and taking action and doing things. And so I just like to identify the, like the different trends as I get to talk to so many different people. And it, it's it's amazing, just like it's the same experience. I, I, I'm having the same experience talking to all of these leaders as, <laughs> as we do as entrepreneurs listening to the customers, right? You, by just listening, you gain all of this amazing insight and knowledge and then things become so clear. And the best thing I can think of is that it's like we're machine learning algorithms. And if you have a high volume of high quality data, uh, then you're you're going to be able to see the trends pretty easily. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, again, your access is exactly the same thing. We're getting just more specific to our field, but absolutely. it's um, If you're hearing all these opinions, right? Once you're starting to see a trend, you can kind of push on that one and go and explore that one more, right? And I think that's absolutely. And uh, I'll just tie that to, you have to listen, right? You have to enable, I mean, in our world, I mean, you're, you're just collecting the data for, for yourself and for your listeners, but for us, we actually have to act on some of it. And, and if we don't, if we just listen and don't act and don't respond, we will lose this feedback, right? So people will stop giving it to us. So we have to be very responsive. So, and that's sometimes communicating, well, this is uh, gonna wait, but explain why, right? And and we have to do it again. We have to turn back and explain it to a large group, right? So that's the downside of that because we we can't just keep uh, our cards to ourselves once, once we get all the information. We have to share how we came up with the, the thought process to why we prioritize something or deprioritize something else. And, and, and we have these discussions. So I think investing in that, and that starts from a developer, right? They had an idea and we have to explain to them, look, it's a great idea, but we have to uh, deprioritize that right now. So, and, and we don't just say no, right? We, we have to explain it. Otherwise, we won't get the feedback the next time. And that's true for our customers, for, for our developers in the ecosystem, the community, et cetera. Not only will you not get the feedback because it'll feel shut down, but you lose the opportunity to teach them about the business perspective as to why it's deprioritized. Yeah. And that'll even make them smarter and that'll give you a stronger team. Absolutely. So what's what's the origin story behind the name Oro? <laughs> That's a pretty uh, funny one. So we, um, we had the Magento, which had its own story about the name. Uh, with Oro, um, we knew that we're going to create 
multiple products, right? We didn't know exactly still which products, but we knew the CRM would be one. But we also started from something called the Oro platform, which is a business application platform for companies to build uh, their products on top of it. Um, so we wanted a name that will be able to be attached to something. So like Oro Commerce, Oro CRM, et cetera. And then um, what happened with that was that one of the founders here worked for all these uh, open source companies, right? And and his wife, at, which she overheard us kind of uh, when we started the company, of course, we started from home. Everybody was uh, like on, uh, on Skype at that time, right? And, uh, and she overheard us starting to come up with names. And she's like, stop with all these complex names like uh, Magento and Alfresco. And, uh, give us something simple. Can we do something simple? And they spent um, a few years in South America. So they speak Spanish. And she came just do something simple like Oro and it stuck. It just like they said it, she said it and we were like, that's the one, we got it. And we can attach it to other things. It was pretty available. I think Oro.com is still taken, but everything else we were able to kind of uh, own. So that was great. So I think that's how we did it. it took, I was, I was dreading that moment because I remember how hard it was to come up with the name Magento, but, um, but when we, she just said it, it, it stuck and that's the name we went with. What's the English translation of Oro? Uh, gold. <laughs> oh, there we go. Yes. <laughs> so, now that it worked is on all, cool. all aspects. Yeah. <laughs> that is, I like that. That is actually really neat. And so, all right, since we're talking about origin stories of names, the other company, less easy to say, Akino. How, how do I say that? Akinio, yeah. Akinio. Okay, Akinio. Yep. And what does that mean? That's like a bud, a flower bud of oh, okay. uh, some type. So, yeah. Is again, it's not a very widely used, but it's the name for one of these flower buds that's, uh, that exists. And again, I didn't name that. That's their name. I was going for Aura PIM, but they didn't want that. Yeah. <laughs> They're actually using our, uh, our uh, business application to build their product as well. So uh, some of their components are built on top of our platform as well, which was oh, kind of the... Cool. Yeah. So uh, no, I'm joking about the Aura PIM, but uh, yeah, they, <laughs> they, um, they came up with that name and it's, uh, it's a flower bud. And then why did you decide to make this open source? Oh, open source. Um, the, the question is, why not make it open source? I'll say that. Um, and, and that's something I actually get this question a lot from companies that call me and ask, should we open source our product? And, and again, that, what I tell them is, ask yourself, why not to open source your product, right? If there's a reason not to do that, don't do it. But if... Everything else is like, there's no downside almost to being open source. I think that that just helps your product. Uh, you know, I, we used to both in Aura, but in Magento and actually in Akenio as well. We look at the open source product as our biggest investment in marketing for the product, for product marketing, right? Because that puts the product in, in so many people's hands, right? Before you even talk to them once, because it's the kind of, just kind of organic uh, uh marketing that you can do right for your product and and the brand name comes for with that right so you kind of build your pro your brand on top of the open source product so just from a marketing standpoint it's like why won't it, wouldn't you do that i think what we did learn is how to work with open source right and and how to actually make it uh successful because it had so many bad reputations uh, from history about uh, you know it's not safe it's uh, low quality stuff like that what we kind of liked was the kind of what we call the commercial open source approach. So we really uh, own and maintain the, the product, right? And so yes, people can contribute and there's a way to contribute uh, to the product, but we really own, like any other commercial company, we own the product. So 
we enable the, the ecosystem and the community to contribute, but we are responsible for what is in the code. And, and, and once something is contributed, if we don't uh, contribute it as an extension, if it's part of the core product, as we call it, then we're responsible for it moving forward. We don't rely on somebody that we've never met or don't know. And that goes through some kind of uh, acceptance um, process for us to accept it into the core product. So really kind of putting together the good of both worlds of commercial uh, development or closed source and then open source and putting it together. And that kind of assures our customers that they're getting a stable product, they're not getting you know, fingers that they don't know who's typing on, uh, using them to uh, create code that, that might be malicious or not. We go through all product development cycles that any commercial company will go. Plus we're benefiting from having a huge uh, ecosystem around our product that again, like I said, teaches us, gives us feedback and actually finds a lot of um, uh, bugs or fixes bugs or security issues if we have and report it back. What we actually, I mentioned it, so I'll just pause on that a bit. What we did want is to still maintain creativity around that, right? So not limit stuff that can be done in the product. And that's why we love the extension model, right? So if you cannot contribute it to the product, because we, like I said, we'll have to, um, to kind of support that if it becomes part of our product, but you still have a feature that maybe works for a small segment of our customers and you really think that's a great idea as a developer, you can just create it as an extension and put it on our marketplace, right? So then people that want it, they can extend our product using those extensions uh, that uh, third-party developers are creating. So we can extend the product both in the core, but also through the ecosystem and our marketplace of extensions. That's pretty cool. I like that. Oh, I, again, I think open source is cool. I, I, you know, for us, it's a strategy. Really, I if you know I've been saying it a long time already, but it's not a philosophy. Like I, I love the philosophy for open source. I think everybody gets better and grows, etc. I mean, everything moves faster. Uh, but put that aside, uh, we actually put it as a strategy for our company because again, it at what made Magento uh, grow so fast, and what made Oro an international product, even though we started very small here in, uh, in Los Angeles. We were able to have installations in Japan, in, in Southeast Asia, in South America, uh, Eastern Europe, Europe, from having this kind of ecosystem around our product that's translating our product, solving issues for local markets, et cetera. So open source is very powerful. Again, I think it's, you know, if you want to get into the way to that point, we can argue how powerful it is from a developer standpoint. But in terms of licensing, in terms of having this kind of community and ecosystem around it, I think it's extremely powerful and just benefits the company. Again, like I said, ask why not, not why should I go open source? It's like, why don't you go open source, right? Why don't you open source your code, et cetera, and, and allow the people to be creative with it? I think that's that's what we kind of uh, learned. It's also interesting because, you know, I started programming very young. And so pretty much all the projects I would interact with were open source. I wasn't spending money at first for a long time. I wasn't buying software. I mean, I would just be finding open source projects and that were close enough to what I wanted or go explore some that had a feature and see like how the developers did that feature uh, or a design I liked and see how they made, made the CSS do that. Uh, but yeah, so, so useful. Uh, because you have an entire part of the market, like let's say you've got, you know, 15 year olds, right? In seven years, they're going to be like really in the employable market, full-time career job, right? Yep. Developing and, and if they're learning these tools and they're understanding these ecosystems and then they get to know them and they like, 
you, you know, you typically find one tool that solves your problem that you like, and you kind of stick with it for a while. And then you move on to the next problem and you just collect tools over time. But, um, you know, knowing those tools is business. It's, it's revenue for you because now you're creating demand. There's going to be job descriptions, listing, you know, those types of skills. That's going to create more awareness. People are going to be searching for jobs. You're like, oh, I've been seeing this pop up everywhere and I don't know this, you know, and, and then it's just going to snowball. I really like it. I, I really, I think it's right for very specific like businesses, but uh, I, I love it when it's, when it's, uh, when it's right. Yeah, I think even Microsoft learned that, right? They're starting yeah. to open source some stuff. So uh, again, the question is, why not, right? And the benefits are, you know, it, there's a long list of benefits of doing that. And um, I think one of the most like proud moments I had with Magento was that people, we would have these events and people would reach out and, you know, people that I might've just known by their uh, username or something in the community. And then we would meet in person eventually but the stories are amazing. Like how, like you said, they they started from a developer that was sitting in uh, an apartment in, somewhere in South America and creating websites, and they grew into businesses and jobs and training new developers on the. So it's it evolves and it, it takes its own kind of uh, life, right? And and that's that's the the nice thing. It's this feedback where somebody comes and tells me I was a, you know, unemployed developer and I found Magento and I started learning it and and today I have you know 25 people working for me and and the company's growing and 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 he told me you know you changed my life with Magento. So again, it's not me, it's everybody, but but definitely it's it's you know gives you some pride to hear that you created something that helped somebody that you had no interaction with or knew about, right? And you still were able to change the world life and now 25 other people they have jobs now, so it's grows on its own and it's a it's a beautiful thing to see. Yeah, and the ecosystem like reinforces itself because anyone who's new that comes to that provider, they're going to put them onto Magento and, and onto Oro, right? Do you got, yeah, so you it just have, keeps on growing, keeps on growing. Yeah, it's like a Do snowball, you have companies right? yet that are making like their business model is making third party additions to, to Oro? Yes, we have um, a couple of companies creating extensions in, uh, for the product, <clears throat> but we also have uh, partners that are building on top of it. We, so I, I mentioned Akinio, but we also have a company called Morello. They're building a complete kind of order management system on top of our platform. Um, so we, we have, uh, yeah, out of India, we have uh, HR system that was built on top of our product. So it's, it's just amazing to see how companies are doing it. We have companies that just internally build tools on top of that, right? And they couldn't find off the shelf and using our products to develop. So just amazing to see that. It's um, it's what, you know, my my passion is to hear people say, look, you you helped me solve a problem, right? That's this, this problem. I couldn't find the good starting point. Your product took us there. And that's what I love to hear, to be honest. And what's the business model? Is it like long-term contracts? Is it software as a service? Right. So that was the... The biggest question is how do you monetize an op a successful open source ecosystem, right? If we go and look at that, and there's different avenues that we tried, and and eventually where we ended up is that we went with what we call a dual licensing model or um, a commercial open source, like I called it before. That means that we have one license for the community edition, and then license that we actually uh, have a business relationship with the company, so they actually pay us for subs subscription, yearly subscription, and. Um, and they get access to our software, to upgrades, uh, to our support, um, developers, et cetera. The, the SaaS or not SaaS, um, it's, uh, or, uh, we actually try to have a deploy anywhere approach, right? With our what, everything we create. And that actually comes from the type of companies we're working with. A lot of them are going online for the first time or even technology is very new to them. 
I just came, literally came off a call right now with a company from Canada that has no digital footprint. I, I, we were kind of questioning if they're fake or not, right? <laughs> if they actually <laughs> exist, because we couldn't find it anywhere except uh, like on DNB if they actually exist. So it's amazing how many of these companies, this is the first time that they're going digital, right? From the pen and paper world to actually going digital. And it's a leap, it's not a step, right? So just being able to, um, to lower the bar for them to enter so they can test, maybe create some kind of uh, proof of concept, right? Try it. And then they contact us for the commercial side of it. That's big aspect of open source, right? And then just having a commercial relationship so they can still trust that there's a company behind it. They have a support. They have somebody to pick up the phone and, and kind of choke if something goes wrong, right? They still have get the throat to choke. It's huge. I mean, that's what kind of gives them the, the confidence that they can be successful with that. Yeah, that's interesting because when I first started getting into like the business side of things or growing my knowledge in business, for me, it was like, well, if it's not online, it doesn't exist, right? <laughs> because how could you not exist online? How would you find a customer? But then I started to understand like how these relationships work and these different industries are at different points in their technological progress. And really business is something that's just done between humans. We're just exchanging goods and services. So there's no requirement to be online. You can just be the person everybody picks up the phone and calls and you've just been doing it for 20 years and you have the relationship and your sales team does the same thing. And you can be just transacting business left and right, you know? Yep. You know, yeah, so that to me was fascinating because what it did was is it helped me understand the like basis of business better. Yeah, I mean, in technology, a lot of times we we feel like everybody's running at the same pace as us, but it's not true. I think, uh, you know, that's a big one when we kind of looked at the B2B world and said, okay, how do we kind of address their needs? We were surprised how low the bar, the starting bar is right now. It's uh, it's truly amazing. Uh, but there's another quick story I'll tell you. We were so surprised. It's like a company that the whole executive team doesn't use email. So when we kind of talk to them with email, we're actually corresponding with their uh, secretaries and they print out the page, they give it to their you know, uh, person, they write their hand, write their answer, then they go back, type it to us on the email. It's just amazing that the world is not necessarily on everybody in the same uh, you know, space of technology. And we, again, it really humbled, humbled us because you know, with B2C, we're all cutting edge. Everything is the latest technology. We were talking about stuff that doesn't even exist yet, right? But with B2B, we had to slow down a bit because we really overshot the product, right? We kind of created too much too early for a lot of these companies because they need very simple things. And a lot of times it's going online for the first time, having your catalog searchable and indexable, you know, things we, we were talking, you know, in, in the early 2000s are still relevant for them, right? They don't understand what it means to, to be indexed by a search engine, right? So we're talking basics, really going back to basics, doing very small steps to getting them there. But I'll say it, it starts moving faster and faster as the new generation is starting to take over, right? From these old school uh, kind of uh, people, we're seeing that this is accelerating now. And a lot of companies are understanding, look, it's either do or die for us, especially in our industry. If we don't have a digital presence, if we cannot answer new customers digitally, we're going to miss out. We're not going to continue this kind of business. So it is evolving for good or for bad. Again, it's uh, something that we, you know, it is a culture thing. A lot of times we see how the pushback is not from any requirements or anything. The pushback is culturally. 
Like I like talking to my customers on the phone, right? I know all their kids' names and all that, and I don't want to lose that. So we're trying to teach them, you know, it's not all or nothing, right? You can still pick up the phone and talk to the customer, but focus on their kids, not on the order. The order is taken care of. They can log in and see the status. They can uh, change and modify the order if they need without picking up the phone. You can still maintain a relationship with them, but optimize everything else. And as the new kind of generation is coming on, they're expecting that, right? That's their... That's their skill set that they're bringing with them. They're doing everything digital. They know how to interact better digitally than face-to-face -face or on the phone. Like my daughter always tells me, don't, don't call me, just text me, right? I mean, it's not like, why, why are you presuming that I should pick up the phone, right? It's a different generation, different approach. So this is how the business world is evolving as well. So I think that's where we like being here. I think this is an exciting category for us right now because we're seeing all these you know, companies evolving and changing, and we're really taking these old school companies and putting them back uh, on the race and in front of uh, where they should be. So it's a great place to be right now. Yeah, when I, I guess I was first made aware of this when I was talking to several different, very large companies, like hundreds of millions to billion dollar companies, and they all seem to be doing the same thing. And that was, and, and that was helping people go from like on-prem essentially into the cloud, right? And I was blown away by that because, you know, at the time I was raising capital. And so I was, you know, meeting with all of these investors and there was so much fear. Who are your competitors? Like all, like all this competitive, like as if there was like this scarcity of customers. And then I look into the marketplace and I'm like, look at all these massive organizations. And still they're putting out stats like 75% of the companies are on-prem and they're not moved to the cloud while you're seeing all of this business happen. And so I'm just like, the, the market is so much larger than we really imagine. We're going to have so many other companies. There's so much business to be had out there. And there's so many unique situations. And as the technology becomes more accessible and as we get more people into creating technology, we'll only be able to create you know, higher resolution solutions to, to everyone's problem. Yeah, and that's and that's a great point because... With Aura, what uh, we um, we kind of discovered was we were going to go cloud-based and everybody's going to go in our cloud. Again, that was we were pulled back because a lot of the companies said, no, it, it faucets a requirement that we will be able to run the servers. And and again, I, I, I'm not kidding you that I, we still go to companies and they're showing us the server room in their office, right? Mm -hmm. So again, it's a reality. They are not going to change necessarily everything overnight. We, they don't necessarily trust the cloud. It can be re, uh, requirements from their industry, privacy issues, whatnot, that are still not caught up with us, right? So like I said, we have this approach of deploy anywhere. Our, we have our cloud, our cloud works, and we take care of everything for you. But we have enough companies to say that we still need to support an on-prem uh, solution or use any other private cloud that you want, right? Or public cloud that you want. And and that's our approach. We have to adjust to that, just learning the industry. They're not ready for this leap into the, we're giving everybody to, they, the way they talk about it is like, we're giving everything to a third party. We don't know what they're doing with it. They're very suspicious, suspicious of that. They're, especially in Europe, there was a big pushback. Again, I think now it's it caught up a lot, but initially when we started in Europe, it was a big thing not to use cloud, right? They Companies did not want to give their data and they didn't trust Google and Amazon uh, to have their data, especially in e-commerce. So um, we had to kind of pull back a bit on the cloud, but now we have this deploy anywhere. So we have our cloud. If, you, if you're ready and willing, you can go there. Or if you go uh, want to host it on your own, you can do that. And what we were able to do is actually the price is the same. So you don't. Have, it's, it shouldn't be a cost uh, question for you. It's just basically what you really 
what is appropriate for you and your industry to, to, to go cloud or on-prem? I actually got really fascinated by it, I think like about a year ago. And so I had a, a series of interviews where I like really dove down deep to these people who are doing these digital transformations within companies, figuring out like, what is it about why they're doing this? And there's a lot of different reasons, but one thing that I wasn't like expecting, or that was like really interesting was it's, uh, trying to get people to do something new is really difficult, like just alone, regardless of what you're doing. And these companies, they'll have, you know, their entire processes for how they deploy within their infrastructure. And that's usually very different from cloud, like how, how we deploy in the cloud world or like, for me, I don't know the difference. It was explained to me. I don't have firsthand experience with the difference because I grew up like cloud native and I would just build stuff and deploy it. And they build teams around it, but the, you know, filling out a form and getting approval for a, a new instance or something like that. And just going through the red tape and the, this person's entire job is just approving the instances and then going over there. So you don't want to get rid of, you know, John or Sally. Right. And so it, it's, it's a little bit of everything, including the tool sets are slightly different. So the cloud tool sets. So one of the interesting things was somebody was telling me about when they have a company that does want to do it, like the drive is there from the executives and they're going to do it, they'll actually take a team and put that team on-prem with the people and so that they can start teaching them essentially on the teams about these technologies and how these deployment processes work and how to do these things. So it's, it's this large undertaking to actually like re-educate to the people that are in this, uh, you know, way of deployment to these mo more modern practices and tools. It's, and I was like, well, yeah. that's, I never even thought <laughs> of that. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a different way of thinking, right? It's um, again, and I, I, I won't tell you the, my, my uh, kind of response, but I thought th uh, this company that was taking me to the server room was kidding me. Right. I haven't seen that in years. <laughs> and uh, until I, I, I was holding back not to laugh. And then they opened up the room and sure enough, there's a server rack and they're showing me how they're holding the server right here. And and I asked him, what's your disaster recovery? He's like, oh, we have a clone that we can run from the CEO's home, you know? So, <laughs> right? That's like, what, 1998? <laughs> but it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, but it, again, just falls back to, we in the technology sometimes just have to look back and see if everybody's following us at the same path, same pace, because we sometimes outrun everybody and uh, we forget and lose a lot of uh, people on the way. So, yeah, because we're serving the market. So it's really right. important for us to know that there's an entire group of people because it's a pretty easy solution for us as like founders or business people. We can just boot up a, a sales team that's expertly uh, adept and helping them make that transition and and holding their hand through the process and understanding it and just, you know, inch by inch by inch by like, you're not going to get rid of everything. You're just going to have this, there's this one tiny problem we're going to solve first. We're just going to put the system in place. And then they're like, oh, that's great. And then, then there's one other thing we could do to help a little bit. Here's some notes so you can see the, the kids' names on the screen when they call and it automatically pops up when the phone calls because it knows their number and they're like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then you get them hooked. <laughs> They're like drug dealers. We just give them a little yeah. bit, a little bit, get them hooked. And now they're like, they're, they're clawing at our door. Give me more. Where's the AI yeah. robot? It's slow. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, we're, from where's the on switch to give me AI, right? And yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. And it, it does work like that. I think you kind of 
kind of describe it exactly how it is. Because once they get the feel for it, they love it, right? I mean, it, it does make their life easier if we know that. But it's something that definitely is a process. And, and, and a lot of times, I, I, you know, we find ourselves as psychologists more than technologists in a lot of the deals we're working on because we have to work with them. And, and, and I'm not kidding you that part of what we kind of get asked on uh, when we get our fees is like, how do we change the mentality of our sales team and our customers to start using these systems, right? And we have to come up with answers to that. And, and uh, how do we kind of hook them on, right? First, uh, first time, you know, it's free. Don't worry, you won't, you'll, you'll come back, right? But we have to come up with these uh, ideas, right? Because a lot of times the, 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 you know, the business decision makers, they're worried that nobody's going to use what they're investing in. So a lot of times it's to come and show them no, we did that with this company that the same thoughts. Uh, I, again, there was a company that was so worried about the data part of it because they were each sales guy had these price sheet that he negotiated with the sales manager, right? And they would have it in a locked uh, kind of uh, drawer next to them on their, uh, on their desk, in their desk. And they were so worried that once it goes online, everybody can see the pricing, right? And, and I, we don't want to share the pricing we got. So we had to convince them, no, that's not the case. And you see, when you log in, you don't see Joe's uh, pricing, right? And it's really going down to that level of like a psychologist telling you, don't worry, guys, it's okay. Don't freak out. Nobody can see your data. It's still locked in. It's just not in a drawer. It's online. <laughs> so it's just doing all these experiments, how to kind of get people to start getting hooked on this. It's uh, what we're doing today. Yeah. And building that trust, right? And positioning yourself as the, as the expert on the transition so that they really feel comfortable doing it. Yeah, we're finding more and more that that's what we have to also know. Yes, it's not only technology, that's not only our software. We get asked to do more than that. It's a plan of how to onboard people, how to train them, how to uh, incentivize them to do this, to to use that. We actually came up with gamification stuff to help people start uh, using the system. You know, so we really have to 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 help with these transitions. Yeah. Yeah, I also saw that you guys have a podcast for like B two B e commerce. Yeah, um, we do. I think um, it's, um, again, something that we saw a bit lacking, but I think now is catching up. Um, we see more and more content for B2B as more and more companies are looking for it. So we saw a bit, a bit of a gap in the market, but I think now it's uh, something that uh, there's a lot of content today. I think, again, too much content, too fast for a lot of people, but uh, they need to make sense of it. But um, I think that the B2B is starting to be addressed. When we started this company with Oro, the B2B market was completely underserved. Uh, we really found that there was a big gap of what they need in terms of where to start, what to do, because it didn't match, you know, a shopping cart is not necessarily the term that they use in their industry, right? When somebody puts in an order. A wish list is not a term that associates with a, a project, right? Um, so all these things that just the language is different, they had to start kind of building the relations to their world, right? From commerce and e-commerce and digital commerce uh, to make sense for their industries, right? So that's something we we thought was really lacking. But I think now, again, there's more and more experts that kind of address the B2B world today when it comes to digital and commerce. So so do you host the podcast or do you have somebody else? No, I, I, I don't. I'm, I'm a very bad... Uh... <laughs> Very bad host. Yeah, very bad host, a very bad uh, social uh, kind of uh, guy and stuff like that. So I, I get interviewed and I do that more, but I'm not good as an interviewer or you know running a podcast. I, I, you're doing an amazing job. I listen to some of your podcasts. It's really, you get into it. So uh, you're hooking us too. It's a just different look, but uh, really great conversations. And I really love uh, listening to that. 
Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate the kind words. Yeah, we we just try to like be useful to the audience and it's amazing, you know, it was cool like year one, year two, but just the graph, it's very similar, I'm sure, to how you felt with Magento, just watching it. And it's like every month we have more listeners and I'm just, it's just blown away. I I, I don't know. It's exciting. I feel good. I, I'll, I'll give, you know, before COVID, I'll give talks and people will come up to me after, after I give the talk and ask me questions about like my kids and stuff and, and different guests. And it's a lot of fun. So, I mean, I, I absolutely love it. You're a fantastic talker, by the way. Oh, thank you. I, I really don't think so, but I appreciate it. Every time. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm doing it from uh, necessity. It's not my, uh, my first choice, but uh, I, again, a lot of people just want to hear the story. I hope they find some things that they can learn from it. You know, I'm just sharing what happened. You know, I don't think I had the magic uh, map that uh, showed me the way, but if, if other companies, I think, learn from it and create tools that are beneficial for, you know, the community and the world, I think that's great. So we're all collaborating in the end, right? We're all trying to make the world better. Um, us in commerce right now, but I think everything kind of impacts everything else. A hundred percent. And that's, that's why, that's why I like it. Cause there's, it's an easy way to get to meet other great people who are like doing something and we have something in common with the technology and building and understanding these conversations. And I found just getting together and, and talking. That's why, you know, when I, when I did it, it started as like me having conversations about this book I was going to release. And then we took those conversations and I like wanted, to, I wanted to keep them going, not just be a, you know, a one-time thing and then publish the book and stop the conversation. So then we turned this into a podcast and I hadn't really listened to any other podcast before. So I just did what I was doing in the the phone calls with the technology leaders, having discussions about these topics. And it wasn't until after two years of doing this, did I find this other podcast called Joe Rogan podcast. And I started to listen to another podcaster. And, uh, and then I went on like other podcasts and that was such a crazy experience. I mean, you do it a lot, it seems, but I was blown away when they, when they like read your bio, like we're sitting here talking, right. And then like, I'm going to read your bio and all these great things about you. And then I'm just going to like change my voice from when you come in, we're going to be talking and then my voice will change slightly. I'll get into my announcer voice, read the bio, and then just hit you with a question. And it's like, it was like a, a glass of cold water to the face the first time it happened to me. And I was like, maybe this is why everybody tells me they like coming on the podcast. Cause this is not a good feeling. Yeah. yeah no. Look, it's like just having with you guys here, it's just having a discussion. So it's, it's amazing. It's just, I forget that we're actually going to maybe be listened by thousands of people, but it's now no, nobody just discussion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you get some good listeners. I saw that. So that's great. And look, and, and it's, just going back to uh, Magento, I think, you know, we really like what you're doing, right? It's you were doing something for yourself and it worked, right? Because other people needed this content, wanted to listen to this and it's growing. It's the same thing with Oro. It's the same thing with Magento. We're, we're just creating a or solving a problem or uh, addressing a problem that so many other people have the same problem, right? And or looking for something to kind of help them with that. And with Magento, I'll say that we didn't intend for it to become a product that you know thousands of uh, online stores will use. We really built it as an internal product for ourselves, right? For our customers, for the ones we were giving services on. But once we 
really understood the industry or what's needed, we created something that other people found useful. And I guess that's your podcast the same way, right? You you did it for your book, but a lot of people were uh, started looking for this content and getting engaged and liking it and, and it starts building up. And once you get this momentum, that's it's amazing. It's It takes, like I said, life of its own. It grows, it's, you get feedback, you, you kind of improve in it and it, it just makes it a lot of fun. It's just a, a live entity, right? That's actually growing and um, and it's amazing. And then we start to get addicted to like, you know, when people, we, they reach out to us, right? They'll send us LinkedIn messages. Hey, I heard this advice from this leader or story. I applied it and, you know, it helped me with A, B or C. And so we'll screenshot that, share it in the company Slack. And for us, it's like, that's the, that's the drive. That's the dopamine or the serotonin hit. Like, that's the thing. It's like, let's measure our success based off of how many people reach out and thank us. Right. Yep. Yeah, and I, I would I would give this piece of advice because in my world it was a bit different both in Oro and both in Magento and I'm kind of trying to teach my everybody around us in our companies that that's how it is, but I'll tell you my experience, especially working in open source where we get this tons of feedback from everything, I almost all the time just hear the negative feedback and that's the one you want to hear. Don't get me wrong. I mean, because if you want to improve, you want to learn what you're doing bad, right? But sometimes you have to lift your head up, look around, you know, and actually see the success of it and people that are already telling you the good things about it. Because sometimes you just focus and everybody's just telling me how we suck and how it's slow and how we have this bug and we should improve this feature and that feature. But at one point you have to kind of say, okay, okay, let's look up and say, oh, if people are actually using it, people liking it, there's, there's good things here too. And that's something I had to learn because I was getting so frustrated initially, you know, with Magento because I just was getting all this negative feedback. And then first time we had an event, I went and people were thanking me. And I'm like, wow, okay, so it's not so bad, right? People like it. People don't only see the bad in it. So I think something in my you know, experience that helps is to sometimes take a breather, look around, make sure everything is, uh, is going fine. It's not only all the negative responses that you're getting. So I, I, I like that you're getting only positive stuff. But... Oh, no, no, we are not only getting, po- we, we only <laughs> screenshot and share the positive stuff. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> We have intercom yeah. chat on our website. And I think anyone who has an open chat on their website gets crazy messages from people. But yeah, I got this one like long email from somebody about how I didn't like ask these more aggressive questions on an interview. And I was like, well, bro, I didn't bring this person on to fight with them about something <laughs> they did like 12 years ago that you happen to care about, but I don't even really know about. Um, I, I came on to help understand who they are and extract the best knowledge that they could possibly have to pass down to the next generation so that we could all live life like a little bit better and just maybe repeat the mistakes like a little less yep that's what we're doing here it's not we're not if we're not grilling people (laughs) (laughs) no and 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 i think that's exactly the experience you gave me i you know i've i've had interviews where it was all why you did this bad and why you did this bad and, <laughs> you know it's like yeah that's and and that's fair i mean again i can answer it but having this kind of approach i think that's what makes you successful i want i open up right i i give you more and more of what i want to share with you and it you know sometimes you you get more bees with uh, honey right so it's or it's how you do it right and um the approach is definitely what will make it successful and grow so and, yeah. and i, I want to say again the same for us it, the fact that we were not fighting these negative responses, right? We, we, we actually listened to them because we had haters. I mean, we still have haters with Aura. We have haters with Magento. 
but listening to them and saying, okay, we hear you, you know, it's, there's a reason why you're saying it. They, they actually become your best, um, you know, supporters in the end. If you kind of show them that you're listening to them, addressing their needs and not just uh, knocking them down and not allowing them to voice their concerns. I think that's important. And then I'm curious to know, like in, in the, the thought of like helping others and passing it along and, and being open and real with people, what are you personally, like as a leader, your leader of this company, what are you learning as a leader right now? I think to um, allow people to do their, their work, right. And, and not micromanage anybody. I think, you know, uh, once you, like I said, it's, it comes from believing in that you have the right team around you, but once you assemble this team is allow them to, to work. Right. So, you know, it's a, uh, Another way is uh, you can look like you're just over delegating everything at one point, but that, the the tip side of that is that you're actually allowing people to learn, do the mistakes and grow. I'm there for any time somebody wants to ask a question. So if it's just, uh, you know, how, what would, what do you think? Look, this is the situation. If it can come from working a feature, it can come from closing a deal. It can come from pricing. It can come from negotiating a deal with uh, Google. It can come from anything. And I'm here if they want to ask and, and I, give gladly all my experience, but I don't make the decision for them, right? I allow them to, okay, that's my feedback based on what you told me and my experience, but what, what are you going to do? And allow them and, and empower them basically to make the decisions for good and for bad. I mean, they all make mistakes. Everybody makes, I make mistakes, you know, nobody's perfect, but allowing them to feel that they're comfortable and they're owning what they're doing and um, and they can make mistakes. It's not gonna, we're not going to kill anybody for making mistakes, but also have this kind of conversation. They don't have to take it on their own, on their backs and run with it and then feel uh, guilty if something went wrong. We can collaborate, but in the end, they own it and they, they're the ones that are going to make the decision. And empowering people, I think, is the key to building a successful company because you cannot take it all on your own. It's uh, something that... You know, I we learned that Magento it blew up so fast. If we would continue, you know, gripping everything, both on the me and the product and the technology, and Roy and the marketing and sales, if we would continue putting our claws into it and making sure everything runs the way we want it, it would not scale. So we quickly learned that we have to enable people, empower them to make the decision, run with their, even if we don't like it, right? We again, we can voice our opinion, we can give our experience, but they have to run with it and and make sure that they are backed up by that and not going to be shut down if they fail. And what's what's the best like leadership advice that you've ever received from somebody? I I think the biggest one was um, open line of communication. I think that's um, you know I I I did spend some years in the army, and that's the exact opposite of that, right? It's uh, only top down uh, instructions. You cannot voice your concern. You cannot voice your opinion. I mean, there is ways, but it's you don't want to get into that. But uh, learning to do this the opposite, where it's complete open line of communication, stay as flat as possible, empower people. I think that's that's how we do that, right? If we if we have this line of communication and, and transparency, it, you know, it didn't come naturally to me. I'll be honest. It's something that, you know, you don't want to share if the company's not doing well, or if we're going through COVID and we have to do some cutbacks and and take more risk and stuff like that. But once we kind of communicate openly and transparently, that builds trust, right? And that lays the, the ground for everything else. Uh, people will feel that there is trust. They know what's going on. They know what they need to do, right? And a personal kind of uh, what that they're responsible for. And and when we like when we went through COVID right now and we told them, look, there's a slowdown in the market for a short uh, couple of weeks. We don't know how long it's going to last, but we need to change a bit how we operate the company and where we invest. 
And once we tell that to people and they understand it, they actually understand that they're responsible for delivering what they have to deliver because now it's more important than ever. And so I think not lying to the company, not just saying everything is rosy and we're doing great, everything, we're hitting all the projections, but actually sharing the good and the bad uh, makes it real, makes it relevant for people to understand where they feel, fall in. You know, so I'll be honest, some people got up and left and said, look, I'm, I don't want to risk now in my life. And that's great because they're not sitting on the sideline and waiting for us to fail or expecting it to blow up. But very few people did. The rest were trusting us to come out of this, and we did, and we did wonderfully. I am actually very happy with the results that we did through this, but but we were transparent completely. And we were open, anybody could reach out and say, look, I have, I have, I have to support my family, right? And I'm worried. Uh, will there be a salary, you know, in two or three months? And to answer them, and we gave a full answer, not just a yes or no. So having this way that anybody in the company can reach out to anybody, there's no walls and then open line of communication, transparency. I think that was something I was taught. Uh, I didn't believe it initially, but I, I grew to believe it. And I think it's something that uh, really benefited uh, how I run companies and stuff like that. And what, what's your favorite thing to do at the company? Because earlier we were talking a little bit about like doing interviews. You're like, oh, I don't know, not so much, even though you're a great <laughs> talker. But so, okay, so maybe not interviews, but like what's your favorite thing to do at the company? Product. I, product. I love product. I love product. I, um, I Again, I, I think I, you know, it's, it's very, um, I guess, evident that I'm a product guy because this company, we created... An amazing product. <laughs> Don't just say I mean, we overshot. You know, we overshot the market because I I, I had to pull back a bit because uh, yeah. But um, product is my passion. I, uh, I I did I did write a lot of code in my day and stuff like that. But um, where I kind of transitioned um, was more for product and um, and stuff like that. And I love it. I I really love going through the features and and I still love sitting even with customers and listening to feedback so I can make a better feature and. If if I had my choice of what to do all day long, it would probably be product. Yeah, I think that's where I love being. And then I saw that in your history, it was a lot of like co-founder, CTO, but then on this company, title CEO. A lot I've seen this happen a lot. Like a lot of CTOs going to CEO, and I was just curious. Uh, you know, you're on the executive team, so there's already a lot of responsibility, right? So we're already familiar with that and leadership skills and budgeting. But but what what's like the subtle differences between the transition from CTO to CEO? Right. So if you if you think about a CTO, and and I know a lot of people have this discussion between VP of engineering and CTO and all that, but let's put that aside for a second. But if you're the tech guy, let's call that right. Yep. If you're the tech leader of the company, you know, and and the the move is from just thinking code and technology to thinking code and technology and business, right? You're starting to put the business hat as well. And the discussions are not only on when you can deliver this feature and, and what technology you're going to be used, et cetera. It's now, what is, what, how does this tie into everything else business, right? So if I have to kind of describe the transition you do is, and that happened to me in Magento and, and that's kind of led to where I am at Oro. I started getting pushed more and more into the business side of it, right? And less and less the technology side of it. As we grew, as the company matured, I actually found myself levitating towards the business and less of the technology. So as much as I would like to think of myself as a technologist, I'm probably already outdated, right? I'm Everything moves so fast. So I had to kind of... Uh, put my ego aside and let the right person take over the technology. And uh, Dima Soroka, our CTO, is an amazing technologist. 
and Michael Basalov, our VP of engineering, another amazing technologist, and they're much better than me. So that kind of pushed me into the more business role, right? So um, it is a transition, It's but I think especially for a product company to have this background of technology and understanding how it works, what's possible, and everything's possible, but what's possible with this budget? What's possible with, and what will it take to get there? I think having that just benefits me in this transition to having the business side um, take more of my time today. Like I said, I try to still uh, play with the product. So <laughs> I try to stay in touch with that, but definitely uh, the transition is almost natural. Like you said, you get as the companies that you're with as a CTO grow and grow and grow. You you find yourself more and more in the in the budgeting discussions rather than the technology discussions, right? Unfortunately or unfortunately, more and more discussions with sales guys, more and more discussions with the marketing people, right? So you get into that more. And it's almost like a natural transition unless you don't give it up, right? Some CTOs just will never give up the technology and that's good. I mean, works for some companies and some companies need that, right? Some companies need the CTO to stay in the weeds and in the code and write code all day long. And that works great. But I think once you grow and especially to the size we grew with Magento and the size where we are with Oro, it's important to start levitating towards the business side of it. And it was in kind of almost a natural kind of progression for me. Yeah, well, I mean, in, it's great too because as it's like we're in a car and we're driving on a road trip and fuel is very important and fuel is the money. It's like a tool. And if you don't manage your fuel, your car can end up on the side of the road, right? And you not get to the destination you need to get to. And then everybody's stuck in the desert, right? Yep. And <laughs> it's no fun then. So, you know, for me, I hated it at first. I was like, this is so frustrating. But then what happened is... I didn't quit and then I got better at it and I developed some skill and then I had some opinions and thoughts. And then I realized that, okay, this is something, if I get this right, then, then it can grow in the, and, and then I can hire like the, the authors I read about, you know, I can like hire the best people and then I, then I'll get to be in an environment working with the best people in the world while also, you know, being the entrepreneur that I am and, and running the business. And so for me, it's like, okay, this is the thing, just like when I was first learning communication, I was like, all right, this communication thing, I'm no good at it. And this is a barrier to my next step in my career. And then with the financial aspect and the, and the revenue and the sales processes of the business, learning that was like the next hurdle. And now I feel like I've got a pretty good portfolio of stuff. The business is operating, you know, we're in business for, you know, more than three years now. So we beat the statistic, right. Of like the 99%, right. <laughs> um, which I think is a good milestone. And then, you know, you step back, you're in it, you feel like nothing's really happening, but you step back and you look at like revenue numbers year over year. And it's like, my jaw just hit the floor. I was like, we're like doubling and tripling. I was like, this doesn't, it happens so slowly. Right. No, it's again, when you're in the weeds, everything is so, is so slow, right? Even, even at Magen, which was like a rocket ship, right? We didn't feel that. Only when you start looking back and the distance you're going, you know, you went through that's that's when you kind of notice the achievements, right? But when you're every day in the weeds, it's a different story. Everything seems so slow and moving, can't move fast enough, right? But uh, definitely something looking back, you see how much uh, progress you've made. So again, kudos to you. It's, it's really a high, right? When you have a successful business, it's it's almost the ultimate high. I really say it because it puts everything. When everything starts falling together, it's it's amazing. And yes, I'm I, again. I'm very proud of the companies I'm part of, and and fortunately for me, all of them are successful. So 
I'm yet to um, experience, I'm, I'm not saying that we don't experience the downside. There's, you know, it's ups and, ups and downs. It's like crazy, right? It's a roller coaster every day. But but I, I, I want to say that I'm extremely fortunate to have this um, streak of success. And I'm just fearing the day when it doesn't there. But maybe that makes me work harder. So I'm not sitting back and just waiting for everything to work. I know that it takes a lot of hard work to become successful. and. And I'm not taking it for granted, to be honest. I think that um, you know, it's success is just hard work a lot. And I'll say this: I, I do get this question, right? Of, and I don't know if you do, that people come to me and say, "Okay, what's the magic? Just give me the one <laughs> liner of how do we create a successful business?" And I'm like, "There is no one liner. There's no one secret, right? It's hard work. It's day in, day out, making it happen." And uh, and I still do it. And you know. I, I'm dreading the day where I lose this passion, but as long as I have it and I can keep pushing, I think that's what we need to do. No, that I when I hear that question, I'm like, oh, you haven't, you know? What's the <laughs> what's the one piece of magic? I was like, well, you haven't done it yet. I I know that because you asked that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, you know, not giving up is one of the things that I've learned because you know, if you give up, it's over. Like that's 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 the failure moment. And that's something that you just, you can't do. Like I can get down, I can get frustrated, I can get upset, I can learn from mistakes, but giving up is just, you, you just have to make it work. And if you go into it with the mindset of, I don't know if this is gonna take me a year, 10 years, my entire lifetime, I'm, I'm not gonna give up and we're gonna, we're gonna figure this out. And you just, you know, I always go back to this uh, one talk I heard where this guy was making like $100,000 a year off of a blog about ketchup. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. All right, people, that's possible in this universe. You know what I'm saying? People sell Q-tips and make money. Like they're the, all of these products around us, there's so many, there's so many different things you can do. It's really just being able to to learn from your mistakes and not give up and to keep putting in the hard work consistent. I think you have a high work ethic. I think a lot of it probably came from you said you spent some time in the in the armed services, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah three years. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's um, a dad and I'll, I'll have to give credit to my dad. He always told me it's going to be hard work. <laughs> you just have to work hard and, and it comes. And I think he kind of stated in me this uh, work uh, ethics and uh, just work hard for everything you do and make it. It's not only that, it's do the best you can, right? I mean, think of the, who's going to use your product. You know, my dad was a, not a product guy, but he always told me if you're creating something, make sure, or if you're working, make sure you do the best you can because you're giving you're asking people to pay for it if they're paying you salary if they're paying for your license doesn't matter but if somebody's paying for what you deliver to them make sure that they're getting the best that you, you can do because they're trusting in you enough to pay you to do that so i think that's something that kind of puts a responsibility i guess that we really have to create a good product we really have to have as the least problems possible for our customers right if they have a problem we'll jump in and help them i i still have customers call me on my cell phone right and they just they were amazed that i picked up and i was like why wouldn't i pick up you my customer if you're having a problem you know it's like of course i'll pick up and um i think that's something uh yeah probably have to give more credit to my dad than the army but the yeah, army for sure kind of molds you into that uh kind of way of life right yeah well definitely credit to your dad right like my, my dad would say if you want to be successful at something, just do it for a very long time and like do it well. And then as yeah. I was having kids, I was trying to figure out, like my wife was asking me, oh, would you be upset if, if, you know, Aria became this or Lachlan became that? And I said, 
the I get, and then I had I was forced to come up with a a way of thinking about it. And I said, after a lot of deliberation, I said, you know what? I don't necessarily care what they do as long as they do it well. As long as right. they do it well, and they do it with a high level of craftsmanship, because that's the one thing that will transcend any work. Like no matter what you're, whether it's charity, whether what, what, no matter what you're doing, you can choose to do something well and you can choose to get better at it regardless of where you start. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. That's a, that's a really good way of putting it. We did it. We made a podcast. How do you feel? Great. Yeah, hopefully it came out well. <laughs> came out. Was there any specific call to action, like tell people to go to oro.com? And it's not oro.com. Yeah, that, that actually would be, yeah, anything we can. So it's um, oroinc.com and uh, orocommerce.com and orocerum.com are all the websites. Akinio.com for Akinio, of course. Those are the, the websites that uh, you can learn a lot about what we do and be part of our ecosystem. Amazing. And we'll put links in the show notes so that people can access it and find it really easily by just going on, going on our site and clicking on your episode. And so uh, we'll drive as much traffic as we'll drive a ton of traffic. Oh, Everybody amazing. get off the podcast and get <laughs> on. <laughs> Great. All oh, right. This is fantastic. Yeah, Joel, this was a, uh, yeah, actually an amazing experience, Joel. And you have a great name uh, like my dad. Yeah. So, and you're living up to that name. So I will do the name well, I promise. <laughs> and do you want to know the meaning of the name? Yes, please. Anyone? So uh, anything with Joe or Yo in Hebrew is God. So that's the, one of the names of God. And El means God. So your name is double God. It's like God is God. Okay. Mine is God is the father. Av is father. So oh. we, yeah, just so you know. <laughs> I like that. That's cool. Yeah, I, I just recently got into like reading about, you know, like religion, different religion and the Bible and all of that. And I've honestly, it's amazing how the stories can translate so well and they were written so long ago. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm not a religious guy by yeah. no means, but it just, yeah. I just know that. So <laughs> yeah. sure. another piece of, piece of, uh, you know, unuseful information. Thank you so much. You have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for the whole team. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.